I mean, actually, in many ways, I find this book quite interesting because it made me sit down and think about what it is I am looking for when I read a science fiction novel. Welcome back to the second part of the discussion of the Clark Award shortlist. This is Cabbages and Kings, a podcast for readers of science fiction and fantasy. I'm your host, Jonah Sutton Morse. In this episode, Megan and Maureen rejoin me to discuss Way Down Dark, Long Way to a Small Angry Planet, and The Book of Phoenix, the remaining three books on the Clark shortlist. Way Down Dark, the, the what, post-apocalyptic spaceship society falls apart, ultra-violent... I, I don't even know what what I really have to say. I mean, I can I can sort of poke lots of holes in Way Down Dark. How absolutely awful can I make this? How many times can I push the situation? You know, how many times can I emphasize just how horrible it is in here? If you start actually looking at how this world works, it, it seems to make very little sense. The condition even that the ship is in, how has it come to this situation? You know, why now? Why is it now that they decide to rampage through the Arboretum? You know, why hasn't the Arboretum been destroyed already? How has it managed to survive that long? There's all these questions that I felt very uneasy about. You know, I couldn't really find sensible answers to them. The people who just keep killing and destroying, and how did it get to that point? Because that sounds... Unnatural, and I just I just finished um, J.G. Ballard's High Rise, and you know he focuses on those sorts of things, like how society degenerates into our base destructive core, and it's like you know his book's really interesting, and Way Down Dark is like everything after that, minus all the how did you get to that point, and just oh yeah no these people are evil and they do horrible evil things. It would interest me more if I knew what got everybody to that point. Dear too, um, you know, of Australia, the actual place is a penal con- col- colony. Right. Um, but you know, but to like- me, that that seems quite problematic as well. In that it it you know, Australia is a penal colony. Um, it, it wasn't a penal con- colony. It was a lot of different penal colonies. I discovered quite recently something I was watching on TV here in the UK, that depending on where you arrived in Australia when you were sent from the UK um, as, as a criminal, it could actually shape your future existence quite markedly. So uh, people who ended up in Tasmania, for example, because of the way the local society was structured, once they'd actually stopped being, you know, they'd, they'd done their time, it was possible to rise, you know, it, was, you know, it actually developed a very affluent society and it was possible for former uh, um, transportees to actually sort of rise up in society. Whereas in other parts of the Australia, you tended to be discriminated against um, unto many generations afterwards for having come over to Australia as a transportee. And so it's actually, you know, it's, it's all very nuanced. And I, I was sort of wondering why the idea of Australia as the penal, you know, the penal spaceship is actually, it's very, it's very flat. There, there is no, I mean, the best, most you've got is the, the fact of the gangs sort of, you know, vying with one another. But the, the, it, apart from that, it, the, the, there's no sort of nuance. We, we don't really find out why people are there, for example. You know, they've just been there for so long. We don't really know what brought them to Australia. It's, it's almost as though 
that's all that's all been stripped out and we're just dealing with them as sort of raw humanity and yet i think we need to know what it is you know what kind of society has actually put them there and we're not seeing any of that at all I genuinely find this novel baffling. I find there's there's something in it I'm just not seeing, I think. I'm not quite sure what it's doing on a short list like this. I can get the way it's structured and written if it is geared at a younger audience, but I can see the end being mind-blowing to a young, new reader, Mm. but I'm not really sure what the jury saw in this. No, it's a mystery to me, quite honestly. The great shame is, of course, we'll never really ever find out. (laughs) (laughs) Because I I genuinely would love to know what it is they see that I can't. Listening back to this discussion, I realized that we were all so hung up on our various problems with the setting that we never really mentioned the central character, Chan, who's trying to survive within this baffling setting, which might indicate some of the reason that the book so mystified us. I do apologize for missing someone so central. We're going to move on now to Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. I kind of liked this. I felt like I wasn't the ideal audience for it, but I enjoyed it. It's feelings in space. <laughs> I really want the TV show of this. I really want the TV adaptation of the this. The TV I, show exists. I, I, There are TV shows like this. There are happy, dysfunctional families in space TV yeah. shows. I have enjoyed them, and I would enjoy having another one to, to watch. The basic premise, our main character, whose name I've forgotten, runs away from her privileged background, ends up on... Rosemary. Rosemary, yes. thank you ends up on a spaceship that builds tunnels, wormholes between two different places, which has a dysfunctional misfit band of mostly aliens. There's at least one other human. There are a few other humans. But you've got your your tech people and your AI and the reptile and, and, and a few others. And they have adventures on their long way to a small angry planet. And I think it's mostly about how they how they get along and become a dysfunctional family and become more of a family as things go on. What I said when I finished was, I finished it, I wasn't in my feels as much as I think other readers are, but it was very satisfying. And I think that you guys had more of a problem with it than I did. So how did you react to it? It felt very simple to me. Conflicts were resolved very easily. I think a lot of the intention behind that was to demonstrate people talking through their problems rather than um, acting on violence. I get it. It still felt very superficial, though. And there were a lot of points in the novel where it was like she she would take us just to the brink of where there was a real human discomfort. The um, aliens, the, the alien woman who is from the planet where it's like one big happy ambisexual type family and she feels out of sorts in the place and and then they she and rosemary have their own pseudo relationship and everything's fine and then the navigator the puncher right he's decaying or has some sort of degenerative disease and they just keep letting him drive the the spaceship like it's not a big deal and not until the end and then suddenly he's in bed and and then they trick him and that was left open enough to where it was a nice, uncomfortable moment. But everything up to that, I it just seemed kind of odd to me. She's just taking us to that point, but she isn't really exploring the kind of stuff I want to see explored on this in this story. And so we, we go in, we touch that little uncomfortable moment, and then pull back and move on. 
I think I expect a little more depth in my novels. And I think that's exactly why people like this novel is because it is positive and feel good. But yeah, I grew up in the 80s. I've seen this, the space shows and the sitcoms that do that kind of thing. So it doesn't feel all that new to me. Yeah, I had similar problems with it. The other thing I was thinking about was I, I, I said online fairly recently that this reminded me of nothing so much as a series of things you could find in school and public libraries when I was young. So we're now talking late 60s, but I think they actually started in the early 60s, which were basically careers novels for girls. And they were sort of set up to describe situations you know, in which girls in the world of work, you know, there was ones about you know, being a nurse and being different things that a girl was allowed to be in various uh, sectors of industry in those days. And it was, as you could imagine, fairly limited. You know, so it was things like being a nurse, being an air hostess, being this, being that. And the idea was to show what it was like in the world of work. And at the same time, of course, by the end of the novel, the uh, the girl would get herself a man. We appear to be a little more progressive in this, but I felt that although it was interesting on the one hand to see people just doing ordinary stuff in space, the problem was for me that that's not necessarily what I go to science fiction for. I want something a little less ordinary because, you know, I have a working life. We all have working lives. We can sort of guess that probably being on a spaceship isn't that glamorous. We know enough about things like what people who go up to the um, International Space Station, what they're doing up there, and it's actually not that glamorous either. As I said, I, I, it, it did at one point really begin to feel to me like a sort of, you know, a careers film. You know, what's it going to be like in space? And it's really rather depressing to me that it will actually end up being about doing admin. And yet I could, there's a level on which I think it's really commendable that she's actually doing this kind of showing that actually, you know, that there is something very mundane about life in space. But I just don't think the balance is right, you know, because there are dramatic things happening all around her all the time. But there isn't the, the match between the need for the admin and the, the, the drama. Uh, it just, it never, the whole thing never quite comes together. And I found myself thinking at one point, are we ever going to get to this small angry planet? <laughs> I also wondered, just based on that and based on things like where the author says, or I'm sorry, not the author, the captain guy, and he says something like, I worry about more than just captain things sometimes. And it just made me think that had this been written by a man, would it be considered sexist? Ooh, that's a thought. Expand on that a little bit. Well, it's getting a lot of accolades for you know, the presentation of women and gender, and yeah, it's it's very traditional. And I just wondered, some of the parts of this, oh, well, why is the woman a clerk? And mm. why is the captain, so Mr. Captain Fancy Pants? And I don't know, there are a few points in there that make it seem just like the way it's always been. I think I know what she's trying to do is depict a spaceship that talks things out and doesn't get violent. But at the same time, it's all very superficial. And again, any of us who work in administrative roles, where's the dissatisfaction in that? And maybe the whole time you're being critical of other people you work with. And I just don't, it's, it's the tyranny of the big happy family and it's not reality. What a great line that is. Uh, <laughs> yes, the tyranny of the... Yes, I have worked in that office hmm? several times, actually. But but I, I, they're able to disagree with each other. And, and they're able to... Like, I think that there are times when they are not a big, happy family. 
and when it's okay, you're allowed to not be a big happy family. And then it's no, we all need to work together. And whether or not you guys like each other, we have to finish this thing. And we are in kind of a crisis point and people put aside some of their feelings for each other. Um, right. Cause the, the algeologist guy is strongly He's kind disliked. Of um, yeah. But at the same time, and, and, and of course, the person that dislikes him the most ends up rescuing him because we are a crew and we are all together. And to some extent, maybe that's the tyranny of the big happy family. But maybe that's also like, I have had people who I didn't really like who I worked with where, all right, I don't really like you. I manage how much I'm interacting with you. But I can also, you know, we can cooperate on the level of documents that we're working, that we're cooperating on, even if I know that we just should avoid having conversations with each other and try to <laughs> not be face-to-face. I think I see two problems, actually. One is that, effectively, what we're all not quite saying is this is one long galloping cliche. Um, and yes. the other thing is that there is... There's no in, no proper interiority. We don't really know what any of these people think. So, it, you know, as readers, we're pushed into the situation of being becoming part of the team ourselves. We're the new person. So we're the ones who are sitting, watching while they, they do things. And I don't think that Rosemary is, you know, if we take Rosemary as our representative in the in this, mm-hmm. again, she's, I think she's just more passive than I want would want the character that, you know, I'm going to follow. She is sort of, you know, living up to the, or living down the expectation of what a what, what an admin person is like. And I, I think that's actually quite disappointing in many ways. And I mean, it might be that it's meant to be nice and warm and cosy and everything, but I don't, I, just, I could just hope for more. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the difficult bits, all the hard bits, all the sort of danger. It's it's very it's very low key. It makes me think of David Edding's novels where they're never <laughs> in danger for very long. It's funny because that was my big grump about this. I, I was realizing that there were things I wasn't quite enjoying as much as I think the people who really like the book are. But my big grump was that it feels as though most of the people here are in a really precarious position. Uh, and the thing that encapsulates encapsulates it for me is the the pirate ambush. Because yes. you have to feel as though if in fact your ship was out in space and like the world that they are in, if your ship's out in space and it gets stolen or like something actually bad happens to it, you don't feel as though any of these people have much of a safety net or something to fall back on. Like that would be a really terrible thing for them to be in. It, they feel very precarious. The good news is that in the long way to a small angry planet world, when pirates attack, you don't actually lose your ship or much of your cargo. You talk to them and they take only what they need and then everything's fine. Yeah, I mean, there was a level on which that was quite intriguing, um, but I really had to work hard to accept that. And I, I don't know, maybe I'm just horribly old, sort of cynical and, you know, hard bitten, but I just didn't find that very plausible or rather I found it very difficult to make the necessary suspension of disbelief. This is my big problem with this novel. If we accept that when we go into a science fiction novel one of the things that we're being asked to do is to suspend our disbelief because we're going into a fictional world in which things might be very different. This novel is then attempting uh, to try and do sort of six impossible things before breakfast in that it's asking us to accept it as a place that's very like our own workplaces you know very like our own experience except that it's in the middle of space and at the same time it's asking us then to accept that even though you know we're in very threatening situations and it's not like the world we're 
we're used to. Things can be resolved in very different ways, but it doesn't convince me enough. I, I'm sort of thinking, my God, isn't it lucky they've got a xenoanthropologist on board who's being their, you know, their admin person who can figure these things out as well. And again, actually, is that not another cliche? This is my problem, I think, now. It, it, it is a cliche, but it's obviously a cliche that everybody else loves. It's pretty clear that among the three of us, we missed some of the love for Longway, so I asked Bridget from the blog SF Blue Stocking to pitch in. So I read The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet for the first time way back in early 2015 when it started to get some buzz as a successful self-pubbed a traditional publication story. But before it was getting nominated for awards and before a lot of people had read it and started picking it apart, which was good because I didn't go into it with many expectations since I discovered it ahead of all the hype. It ended up being the only book I read twice last year. Since then, there's been a ton of stuff written about it, including some on-point criticism, but nothing has really lessened what has turned out to be a deep and abiding love that I have for this novel. Hell, I read most of it again over the last couple of days while trying to figure out how to explain why I love it so much, and it was really hard to not get sucked into doing a full reread. Even still, I cried a little when I reread the ending. It's basically a book about a bunch of people just trying their best to be decent and do their jobs and live a good life, and I find that appealing. As someone with complicated relationships with my own family, I really enjoy books about found and chosen families, and The Wayfarer Crew is a great example of that. It's also a book that has some things to say, but nothing it wants to beat the reader over the head with. It's a book that makes smart use of likable tropes arranged in a pleasing fashion, and that doesn't overstay its welcome, ending exactly where it needs to. Mostly, though, it's just a sort of perfect middle-brow sci-fi comfort reading, the kind of thing I can see myself reading over and over again because I find it sweet and restful, and it's optimistic, but not cloyingly so, in a way that I find relaxing. It's a book that doesn't make me feel a ton of things, but the things it does make me feel are only good, which doesn't happen very often. But let's move to Book of the Phoenix. I really liked this one. I liked it a lot. I, I didn't find it perfect, but I found it really interesting. It felt like a superhero book to me. Like, that was what I kept thinking about. Not that I have read a lot of superhero comics, but that's what I kept thinking about with uh, The Book of Phoenix. And it is sort of the apocalypse to which her earlier book is the post-apocalyptic novel. It was delightful. It moved fast. It felt like a superhero book. But I'm, I'm curious what you guys thought about. I actually kind of dreaded it because it was packaged as a superhero type novel or at least the things I'd read about it and yeah I don't have that kind of experience with comics but it ended up really winning me over probably by the second second half you know that happened with her last novel Lagoon Mm -hmm. it was like that for me too as well the second half really opened up it felt to me like what the Watchmen could have been You know, there was really some truly subversive stuff going on in the story. And Book of Phoenix, if anybody knew what was going on in that story, (laughs) that would be exactly the kind of book that would freak people out if they saw you reading it. Because there's so much addressing terrorism and discontent with the American system and racism. She talks about the burqa is freedom. She talks about um, I am villain. She repeats that a lot. And I just... I thought that it's a really dangerous story, or it could be looked upon that way. 
I wasn't quite sure what to expect when I started this. I think I reviewed it for Interzone, and I, the review was this sort of immediate reaction. Um, I, I felt afterwards I, I hadn't really actually got to grips with the book, and so I've read it several more times, and I'm just beginning to feel I am getting to grips with it. I, I find it, it fascinating. I mean, it's, it's one of my two favourites on the shortlist, and you know, my other is um, Europe at Midnight, and that's mm-hmm. with that it was an immediate moment of recognition, as I, I said uh, when we discussed it previously. And with this... It, it was more, I have no idea what's going on, but, you know, buckle up, let's go for the ride and see what happens. I liked, what I liked about it, um, one of the things I particularly liked about it, is the actual narrative structure. It's so complex. It's so, I, I like things that have structural complexity, you know, sort of nested narratives, you know, interesting tangential stories. And I found this actually really very satisfying in uh, that respect, you know, sort of, start with the prologue I said nobody really knows who wrote the great book and you've got this fascinating world in which you know people seem to be living what we might call a, a fairly you know, primitive and in inverted commas existence um, you know sort of out somewhere in the desert and uh, yet they've obviously they've got what are obviously tablets you know what they call the portable and they've obviously got all the uh, you know sort of the ability to, to download masses of information so there's this kind of post-technological world which isn't necessarily post-technological Mm-hmm. And then you've actually got the Book of Phoenix itself embedded within that. There's so many, so many visual. The heading of chapter one, specimen, and and mm-hmm. uh, men. The men part of that is is, is capitalised. There's so much playing with. It's very very playful. These ideas of knowledge and of you know, the, the ways in which people um, label themselves, so to speak. And I find the more actually I've gone through it. Uh, as I've got used to reading it and started to sort of get to grips with the world, the more fascinating it becomes. You know, I, I like the fact now that it's it's episodic in many ways, and it's sort of just where you think you know where you're going, it, it sort of sends you off in another direction, which is something I remember from Lagoon, mm-hmm. which I know a lot of people found a bit difficult to get to grips with, but I rather enjoyed because it was the, sort of the idea that the narrative was constantly branching out and sort of being passed from person to person like a relay battle. And there's a certain element of that in this as well. Sometimes it's kind of comic booky, and other times it's throwing out references to the Carmon line, which I hadn't heard of, but I think is where space starts. I'm sure I miss a lot. And I only read it once, but I think it would be interesting to read two or three different times in it because it, it feels as though by saying this feels like a superhero book, I am picking up on an aspect of the many things that she's doing and the, and the many kind of, I don't know if I'm saying, if I want to say traditions that are being drawn on, but there's a lot packed in all at once. And, and, and Maureen, your comment about reading it a few different times and, and getting stuff out of it. I, I feel, I, I want to go back to this one. Um, I want to read it again. I want to see what else is going on. And also because it's very global in perspective. I think reading Book of Phoenix made me realize some of the ways in which some of the other science fiction that I'm reading kind of assumes America and Europe and made it easier for me to see some of those assumptions in some of the other fiction that I read. Hmm. I, I agree. I think that this would be a good book to revisit because she she uses a lot of what feels like chunky symbolism, big sort of things that stand out, but you can't really grasp what she's trying to say with those symbols. I think a lot, actually, about the tree that grows through the building, which... Yeah. It's called the back. It's called the backbone. Yeah, you know, the whole time I'm thinking, what could that possibly mean? Backbone. I. That's neat. 
I think that's just a really neat choice of words. And it also brings to mind, when I first started reading it, I was thinking it's like gourmet And then by the end, thinking this is also kind of like the giving tree. I thought that was neat. I thought it was neat. The superpowers themselves were really neat. Saeed eating rust and sand all the time. And the specimens, they have this, their ability to speak has been stolen. A lot of things in it that... I don't know if we'll ever know what it's actually supposed to mean. It seems like she picks these vague, big symbols to let us think about it for a long time. And I'll tell you that tree is in my mind a lot since reading that book. And you you mentioned drawing from tradition. I feel like um, just when I read her novels, I see a lot. You can tell she's an old sci-fi fan kind of the way she paces the novel, the language she uses, and then even, I know this one, the big thing that stuck out at me was at one point, Seven is martyred. People are throwing rocks at him, and she's watching it on a television set. And that is, I think, almost exactly like what happened in Stranger in a Strange Land. I've seen that a lot with the type of stuff she does. She she pulls from sci-fi. I think she pulls from oral storytelling. Oh, yes. I like She's a writer who's very interested in people and not characters, but people and the way mm-hmm. they talk to one another. And it's something that I have always loved about Kurt Vonnegut. I find that I really like that about William Gibson, that there's just this colloquial style uh, when people get together, this is how they talk. And it's not mm. complete sentence. It's not complete sentences. And it maybe se- seems superficial, um, but it feels real. And I think I know these people. I was thinking of that uh, sequence when Phoenix has escaped from the tower and she goes, you know, she's, she's out in the streets and she goes into the um, Ethiopian restaurant. It's such a lovely, you know, early moment, and there's so much going on in there. You know, the sort of the moment when the bloke says, you know, why are you, why are you glowing? I, you know, I thought they were just showing a bad photo of you, and um, then he invites her in, and this, this fantastic moment of the extending of hospitality. Yeah, because mm-hmm. you know, she, she's, she, she's escaped from this, she might be dangerous or not, but here she is in his place, and she's hungry, and they feed her. I love that. Not just because the food is making me salivate as well. (laughs) And I've already had dinner. Um, But it's the attention to the detail in something like that. You know, she's sort of bringing food, you know, bringing her the butter uh, for her dry skin. There's this beautiful description of, uh, you know, an Ethiopian meal. And there's this line where he said, you should have the pleasure of company with your meal. And she said, I felt my chest swell with emotion. Good company, a small but wonderful thing. And then you realize it's because they're treating her like... A human, well, they're treating her as a human being because that's how human beings theoretically treat one another. They welcome them in and they feed them, you know, and that that's what they do. And so at this point, she's not, she's no longer a specimen. She's no longer a sort of, you know, superhuman. She's a hungry human being. She's a hungry woman. And that's what they do. They feed her. And I love that. It's that, that That's a moment that's to me, resonates all the way through the book. And she's always looking for that moment when she can just simply be herself. Uh, genuinely, I, it's, it, I find it in a way difficult to talk about this book, and it's not because there's not enough in it, it's because it overflows. Another important thing to throw out there is how many SF novels do you read where it's just about an angry woman, much less an angry black woman, but she goes into female anger and um, you know what it feels like to be taken advantage of. I just I thought that was exciting too. Um, yeah. You just don't see that. No, I mean, it's actually 
it's it presents a very interesting contrast to something like Small Angry Planet. You know, and admirable as it is to talk everything out, something like Book of Phoenix suggests to me that there, there are moments, there are times, there are places, there are situations where trying to talk it out is not enough. You know, it, it's, it's, it's insufficient as a reaction. It, it, yeah. it, um, you know, something like that cannot encompass Phoenix's experience. To expect her to actually sort of deal with this by staying quiet, it, it, it's outrageous. It really is. It's perfectly right and proper that she goes out into the world and you know, literally blazes a trail through it and you know, actually articulates her emotions. Um, I mean, certainly I know the, you know, the two. I, I, I find it really funny, isn't it? We've got this title, Small Angry Planet, and it's all about anything but anger. And then we have something like the Book of Phoenix, which is about anger is is articulated all the way through it, as Megan says. I really, really like this book. Me too. Me three. (laughs) (laughs) We were all in general agreement about the standouts and general opinions of the shortlist, but of course you have to do at least a little bit of prognosticating. No, if I'd been on the jury, I'd have been hoping for a different shortlist. Of the six of them... I think that I would personally be very happy with either the book or Phoenix or Europe at Midnight um, for very different reasons. Europe at Midnight is just so beautifully written. You know, that, that's not diminishing it any, in, in any way. It, it's just a real pleasure to watch somebody who's at you know, the height of their, their game, beautifully crafted. But I think, I hope Dave forgives me for this, at the moment, if I'm, you know, it's the excitement of the Book of Phoenix, the fact that it, it's, to me, the one that most embodies what I have always seen in the Clark Award, the idea that it's sort of you know, push, pushing the boundaries of what science fiction could be capable of, doing new and exciting things with it, you know, sort of pulling together lots of different ideas and thinking about the ways in which we could uh, push, the, uh, push the genre forward. Europe at Midnight, to me, is a, is a quiet novel. It's doing really interesting things. But the others... Um, I mean, it certainly it is exemplified, actually, in a long way to a small, angry planet. They they seem to me to be very safe choices, and I would, I think, be really disappointed to see any of them as the winner. I have to say the same, and, you know, kind of a shame that we all agree so much. I don't really see this list as safe so much as subpar. Actually, when I say safe, Megan, this is the, the British understated use of the word safe. The, 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 the ever so polite, um, you know, what I mean is, I have no idea what they were thinking. And with that, we'll wrap up this discussion of the Clark Awards. Thanks to Megan and Maureen for the discussion, to Bridget for pitch hitting, and to all of you for listening. New episodes on what I'm hoping will be a bi-weekly schedule should start as soon as season two of Cabbages and Kings gets underway. Thanks for listening to Cabbages and Kings. Please let me know what you think of the show. On the website, cabbagesandkings.audio, there's a feedback form and also a page if you'd like to be on the show. Or just go ahead and email contact at cabbagesandkings.audio. I'm on Twitter at jsuttonmorse. The show is on Twitter at kingcabbagecast. Let me know what you enjoyed, what books you're reaching for now, what I can do to make the show better. The website also has an occasional blog, my running tweets on books I'm reading, and importantly, a link to the RSS feed for this show, which you can also find on iTunes and wherever fine podcasts are aggregated. Until next time, enjoy your reading.